Welcome to the Student Sessions with Tonya Galati, brought to you by Grey Hair Media. In this series, Tonya is joined by role models who share their lived experiences in frank and honest conversations. We all need to be inspired, and understanding how those we look up to have been inspired themselves is an important journey of discovery. Come with us for a frank, unedited conversation with amazing people. Today, Tonya is talking to Duro Oe. Maduro is the CEO of 2020 Change, a multi-award winning social enterprise leading the way to a more diverse and inclusive workforce in the UK. Through training programmes, mentorship and career support, they empower young black professionals to flourish in the workplace. Their commitment to excellence, passion for community and dedication to transparency help them achieve clear, explicit and sustained change for young black professionals. Duro designed the award-winning I Am Change 12-week programme, which focuses on developing young people in the four key areas of self-awareness, vision, persistence and dignity, as well as the importance of social and corporate etiquette. The programme also explores topics young people are not taught in schools, financial literacy, digital skills and mindfulness. Duro is a passionate storyteller and uses documentary film to enable marginalised youth to frame their own narrative. Since producing his first independent film project in 2013, he's gone on to produce documentary films with the BBC County Lines, Teenage Drug Runners and Channel 5 Gangland, Seasons 1 and 2. Duro was a qualified mindset coach with a degree in graphics and advertising, a diploma in documentary filmmaking and is a fellow of the Acumen Academy. Over to you, Tonya. Hi, and welcome to the student sessions with me, Tonya. Today I'm joined by Juro. Hi Juro. Hey Tonya, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on the student sessions. Where are you dialing in from today? No problem. Thank you for having me. Right now I'm in Moorgate, in one of our office spaces here in Moorgate. And how's life in Moorgate? Life is pretty good. Um, yeah, I've got my coffee. I can see the rain outside, but it doesn't affect me. <laughs> Is it still quiet? Is it still quiet up in central London or pick it up a bit? Very quiet. Um, It's quieter than normal, but definitely picking up since the lockdown and everything. I was actually up in in Oxford Street for a bit earlier as well. And that seems to be buzzing. Um, But in like the city district, it's kind of still very, very quiet. Well, hopefully things will um, return to normality soon. Um, appreciate that you're really busy, Jure, so thank you very much for joining us and for giving us your time. Tell us a no little bit too. about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Duro Oye, and I'm the founder and chief exec of a social enterprise called 2020 Change. I've been running that for eight years, eight years today. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's become a huge part of my life. Um, I started the organisation out of frustration of there not being enough done to help young people from low-income households, um, low socioeconomic backgrounds, um, and mostly trying to help young people identify their key strengths and teach them how to use those strengths as transferable skills that could, they could then use to gain employment, start their own business, and um, even use it as an opportunity to give back to their local community. So we'll hear much more about your um, current venture a little bit later, Joe. but tell us, take us back uh, to kind of growing up and tell us a little bit about your life. Well, how far back do you want to go? Oh, let's go back to <laughs> the age of, you know, where you were raised, kind of your family circumstances situation. Sure. Okay. So I was actually born in Nigeria. A lot of people don't know that. I came over here when I was, it's always a bit blurry, but definitely between the age of five and seven. Um, and I found myself in a council estate, quite notorious council estate in North London, Broadwater Farm. 
um, there I was surrounded by um, all kinds of things really but at that young age you don't really recognize what's good and what's bad um, I, I was living with my sister at the time she was a single parent um, she worked around the clock so I was the eldest person in the house at about seven I looked after my niece and my nephew um, and there was things that happened on the state so there was drug dealing there was gang members there was all that kind of stuff but we kind of we, we lived a somewhat sheltered life but I was exposed to that the moment I stepped outside the moment I went to school um, things started changing for me when I moved to southeast London um, so that's when I moved to another sister's house in southeast London and that's when um, I saw even more of what I saw in North London but obviously I was older now I was able to know right from wrong but in the household I actually grew up in my um, my sister's partner at the time was heavily involved in fraud fraudulent activities so I grew up around that for me it's it, it, it somewhat you know, it shouldn't have, it became normal. Um, so at the age of about 12 or, yeah, about 12, I started kind of like my own kind of criminal enterprise. Um, I worked my way up the ranks, up the ladders, um, right up until about 21. Um, so I was involved in gang culture but obviously back then we didn't see it as gang we just a group of friends that did things to make money and to get by um I went off to university which wasn't part of the plan I was very comfortable doing what I was doing and happy doing what I was doing but my mum at this point my mum had moved over from Nigeria and she pretty much forced me to go to university um she said her one ambition in life was to make sure that all of her children go to university and get an education because she wasn't um, able to get one. And I was the last of six, seven, last of seven. Um, and I was the only one that hadn't been to university. So she kind of pulled the, the guilt card on me. So I went, but that's where my turning point actually happened. So I'm, I'm ever so grateful to my mum for forcing mm -hmm. me to go to university because it was there that I recognize that I could be independent. It was the first time that I was away from my local estate, from my boys and, and my friends and everything that we did. And I was able to just kind of get into my own mental headspace and really kind of reevaluate my life and think about what I wanted to do with my future. I had acquired a large amount of skills from doing all the things that I was doing on the street. Um, and I started to recognize that those skills could actually be used for other things as opposed to what I was currently using them for. And that's where the journey of 2020 change kind of started. So when you were growing up, Joe, did you have role models and positive role models to look up to, or do you feel that it was, um, you were limited because of the, you know, the, your circumstances and who, who you were surrounded by? But this actually, that's, that's a thought process that I always challenge. Um, so the, the easy answer would be to say, no, I didn't have role models and I didn't have anybody to look up, look up to and all that. But that wouldn't be entirely true because obviously in that moment, I didn't recognize that there were role models because they didn't look cool. <laughs> you know, mm. what they were doing didn't seem appealing. But, you know, growing up and coming away from that lifestyle now, I, I recognize that, yes, I did have positive role models, but 
I didn't see them as role models. Um, I was blinded and, you know, I had blinkers on. There was only one type of role model that I was interested in. And that was the one with the flashy car, with the wad of cash and the big chains. Mm. Um, so it was my mentality that I needed to challenge. Um, but obviously I can't go back and do that now. But what I can do is do it for the next generation coming up. So how did your mindset change when you went to university? Because obviously that's a very different uh, environment that you would have been used to. So how mm. did you change your mindset in order to make the most of that opportunity? So I wouldn't necessarily say it was university per se that changed my mindset. Mm. It was me leaving my current environment and recognising that there, that, that there was a bigger world out there. You know, meeting people. Um, I was still involved in things at university. You know, some would even say that university was probably my most lucrative years. But I think with the success of doing what I was doing came the the concerns of oh this is actually getting a bit out of hand now can I continue doing this without getting myself caught up you know I had friends that were killed friends that went to prison friends that got deported so there was just a lot of negativity happening around me I I didn't get touched in any way shape or form but it was just it was that mental thing is that how long can I continue doing this for without without messing up or something happening to either me or my family members um and then it was more so around that inner voice that was telling me that you're better than this and it was also at university that I started taking my my Christian walk seriously Mm. so it was that added to my current environment added to everything that was happening to people around me and then also me thinking about what's my long-term plan here what's the exit you know and at that point, I tried to create things, you know, like a lot of street guys will say that, oh, I'm going to do this for five years and then I'm going to go legit. But the truth of the matter is you can't. You can't use ill-gotten gains to do something positive or something um, lucrative. It's still going to come crashing down eventually. It might not happen overnight. It might give it, you know, a year or two years, five years, but it's all going to eventually come crashing down. And I saw that happening to people that, I would say I looked up to that were involved in that kind of stuff. And I realized that you can't really build anything from this. So the moment I graduated from uni, I moved back to London and and that that, that was it for me. Me finishing university, coming back to London was like where I drew the line in the sand and said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to completely reinvent myself with the help of my church community. Um, I'm going to go back into the church. I'm not going to step out. Literally, I'm going to stop everything that I was doing, get rid of everything that I acquired from that lifestyle and start afresh. So I moved into my mom's house and, and, and that was where the reinvention of Duraoye kind of started. I even remember the date to this day, August the 16th, 2006, and I celebrate it each year. So some of our listeners may be able to relate to some of what you've said there. So there'll be uh, our listeners are kind of, you know, very early on in their careers and some of them may be in situations where at the moment they feel that their opportunities may be fairly limited. They may not necessarily yeah. have, you know, positive role models. What advice would you give to them? I'd say you need to change the lens in which you're using to look, you know, so looking back now, I know that there are positive role models out there, but it's just a matter of young people recognising that these are positive role models. Because when I think back to my council estate, I think back to you know, grown men that were in medical school, but they weren't earning the money, 
you know, but they were building something, they were working towards something. That's a positive role model. But because that person doesn't have the flashy car and the big chain, you know, and the wad of cash doesn't mean that I, I can't learn something from them. Mm. You know, and even also as well, like our role models don't necessarily have to look like us. There's this, you know, narrative of representation, which I get, but I always like to challenge it because you can have a role model that doesn't have to come from your same background or even have the same color skin as you. They could be somewhere where you're trying to get to. And there are things that you can learn from them about their journey, about the obstacles that they faced on their way to kind of tap into and, and, and gain that knowledge to help you on your journey as well. So role models are everywhere. It just matters what a young person would classify or how a young person identifies role models. Social media has made everybody so accessible these days, especially LinkedIn. There's loads and loads of role models on LinkedIn. And I'm pretty sure, you know, if you reached out to people on LinkedIn with a genuine message, and when I say genuine message, I don't mean a copy and paste message that you just send the same message to everyone and, and say, oh, I'm looking for a mentor, I'm looking for a role model. Would you be someone that can guide me? Chances are you probably won't get a lot of responses back. But if you, you know, do a, a, a detailed study or research into the backgrounds of the individuals that you're reaching out to, and give them reasons as to why you've selected them to be your mentor or that you see them as a role model. Most people will reach out, they'll, they'll, they'll respond back. It might not be instant, but they will eventually get back to you. And that's my advice for a lot of young people. So it's just change the lens in which you're looking through, thinking about who your role models are. And what would you say to individuals who may need some support in um, either accessing role models or support in terms of um, kind of some guidance around kind of opportunities, that kind of thing. Because often we've had a lot of conversation over the last few episodes in particular, um, where we've spoken about actually this perception that, oh, I can't ask for help, I've got to do things on my own. What advice would you give in that scenario? I think if you don't ask, you don't get. So growing up, if you've had a hard life, and you know, so many doors have been shut in your face. Um, so you've heard so many no's, you've, you've accepted rejection so many times, you tend not to want to ask for help. So I, I can speak from my own personal experiences. I felt like I had to do a lot of things on my own because I felt like there weren't people out there to help. But the longer I've been on this journey, the more I've recognized that there are actually more people that are willing to help than there are people that will just shut the door in your face. So if you don't ask, you know, you don't get. And it's important that you, you feel confident enough to reach out to people. You might get a thousand no's, but a, a no has never killed anybody, right? Mm. You know, so no one can tell you no and that's it, that you move on to the next. So you're, you're not gonna die because someone told you no. So you need to kind of develop thick skin. And if you've had a hard life, you've already got the thick skin. So you're already, you know, miles ahead of someone that hasn't. So don't be afraid of rejection and yeah, just reach out to people. Like there's an organization like ours, there's other organizations doing amazing work in terms of creating opportunities for young people. Um, in terms of like the work kind of work that we do, the opportunities are already there. It's just about making them accessible to the young people that we work with. And once that access is created, they they recognize and they see how easy it is for them to kind of utilize the network that we created because there are more people that are willing to help and there are people that are just going to shut the door in your face and that's what I've kind of discovered over the years of doing this kind of work 
Fantastic, thank you. So you did a degree in graphics and advertising. Uh, you've also got mm. a diploma in documentary filmmaking. What made you decide that you were going to set up um, a social enterprise? A necessity, really. Um, so obviously I told you about my past and the things that I got involved in. So mm. it was kind of like redemption for me. I felt like I wanted to do something to kind of redeem myself from all the, all the, all the young people that I led astray. And I actually put a number on it because I, I counted them one by one. I counted all of the quote unquote youngers that I had, all the people on the ends that looked up to me and inspired to, to be me and do what I did. And I think it probably came up to about 450 all, all, all in, right? Mm. Young people that I can say I personally, you know, led down a path of wrongdoing. Um, and I felt like I wanted to do something that would get that same amount of number of kids off the streets and, and don't get me wrong part of that 450 I'll probably say about 20% of them I've personally reached out to and made sure that you know they're no longer on that path and they're now on the positive straight and narrow mm. but some of them you know I, I can't reach anymore so for me I made a documentary film back in 2012 um, following the lives of six ex-gang members from Peckham free from Peckham free from Brixton kind of documenting their change and their journey to redemption and them wanting to give back to their communities um, so that, that that was my plan I wanted to make the film and because the guys were so open and honest about their experiences and their change and their transition I felt like if I could make the film I'd heard about all of these amazing youth organizations that did stuff because when you're on the streets you, you hear you hear the names you hear the big names but you never really you don't engage with them you just know that they're there when you need them mm. right so I felt like if I could make this film and if this film could be so groundbreaking and, 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 and touch the hearts of young people that are in the thick of it, they would then, um, if I give this film to these youth organisations, they can turn it into workshops because that's what they do, right? They can take it into schools, prisons and, and run things within the local community that would change the hearts of young people involved in what I was involved in. And that way my target could be hit in one sweep. Mm. So that was the plan. I made the film. Um, we put the film out. We, we had a premiere at Odeon Leicester Square. We had about 850 people show up. I invited all of the major youth organisations at the time. At the end, we had a Q&A. So he loved the film. We got a standing ovation. People cried. People laughed. E every single emotion that we wanted to get, we got. Um, and at the end, they said, OK, so Drew, what's next? I told them the big plan. Everyone was like, yep, let's get behind you. We love it. We want to help. We want to support. So I was like, great. And then um, about two a week, two weeks passed. Nobody got back to me via email. Nobody responded to any of my calls. And at this point, I'd spent all of the money that I had. I even had to borrow money to, to complete the film. Um, and I just had a hard drive with the film on it. And I was looking at the hard drive, sitting at my brother's dining table. And I said, I've got to do something. You know, and I made a promise to the guys in the film that if they were truthful, open and honest in this documentary, that it was going to change lives. And I had to fulfill that promise. Um, so I decided to go out on my own and start an organisation that would do just that. I knew nothing about social enterprises or, or the charity sector, voluntary sector, nothing. I had to learn and I'm still learning. And how, I mean, if you'd gone back to kind of speaking to eight-year-old juror and you'd said oh there's this organization 
i.e. 2020 change that can help you. How do you feel life may have been different for you? Firstly, eight-year-old Jura wouldn't have listened or cared about the organisation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it probably would have had to been probably 16-year-old, 17, 18-year-old Jura. Mm. Um, and life would have been very, very different for me. You know, I think about that every year when I reflect on my life and how far I've come. Um, but I think I hit 30 and that realisation came that I had to live the life that I lived to do the work that I'm doing now. You know, that nobody else could have lived that life for me in order to put me in the position to be able to do what I'm doing and help the young people that I help in the way that I help them now. Like, if I lived a very comfortable life and everything was handed to me and I was a goody goody two shoes, I, I wouldn't have the life experience that I have now to, to equip me to effectively carry out my roles and responsibilities that I carry out now in the way that I do. So I'm grateful for the life that I had. And it, it's taken a number of years for me to come to that realization, for me to get to that point where I can actually look back and really think that this is actually the script that was laid out for me. Yes, I had a few uh, uh, near misses um, and a few kind of areas where, where things could have gone really, really bad, but I, I was kept and I was protected for this purpose. And that's that's my understanding of, of, of my life journey now. So even though things could have been very, very different, I could have ended up doing something completely different to what I'm doing now. But looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way, if I'm being completely honest. So everything happens for a reason. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. We're coming to the end of our time together, uh, but before we wrap up, this series is focused on role models. How do you feel being a role model now for other young people? I mean, for me, it's it's a huge pressure. Uh, you know, it's it's a huge it's a huge thing that I have to carry on my shoulders. I didn't ask for it, you know, and I'm very very happy fading into the background and and not being seen at all. I don't want I like I didn't arts to be seen as a role model um i'd rather have young people chart their own course as opposed to see me i mean you can be inspired by someone think, okay if that person can do it it's given me motivation to know that i can do it too but i wouldn't advise any young person to kind of model their life or my life um mainly because yeah it's, it's, it's not easy and and I, like i said it's important that you change your lens in which you look for role models because role models are around you. You probably have people within your family that could be ideal role models for you. Like people can inspire you, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, being a role model to a lot of young people is not, it's not something that I, um, it's not a badge that I wear with pride. You know, it, it comes with a lot of responsibility and that, that, that's, that's the difficult part. I, I wouldn't want to let any of the young people that look up to me down. I wouldn't want to let my friends and my family members down. You know, it's something that I think about all the time. And you just have to be very, very careful how you maneuver through this thing called life because when you get to a position like this, there's a lot of eyes on you. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the best I can <laughs> I say. I think you're blushing. Yeah. I think you're blushing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thankfully, I've got dark skin. So people can't really tell when I'm blushing or not. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Well, I think the work that you're doing uh, as part of 2020 Change is great. Uh, and I know myself and the team at TG Consulting are looking forward to collaborating with you on some exciting um, work Likewise. in the future. Um, but for the moment, thank you so much for joining us on the student sessions, Jerome, for sharing your lived experiences with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tanya. Really appreciate it. And to our listeners, do join us again on the student sessions. Thanks for listening to the Student Sessions brought to you by Greyhair Media and hosted by Tonya Galati. Never miss an episode by subscribing. And if you like what you've heard today, why not leave a review and please tell your friends. We'll see you at the next session.